The Pre-Med Year, session number 335. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the pre-med years. I hope you are having a great day. I want to thank you for taking some time to listen to this podcast today. This week, we have an amazing guest, somebody who fought through a pretty bad MCAT score, retook it, still didn't get up to what he was hoping, but still pushed forward with his applications. I get a ton of feedback from an episode that I did a while ago with NECA, which was episode 261. And NECA had a 2.7 undergraduate GPA and is now in medical school. This week, we have a great story of a student pushing through a poor MCAT score and still getting an acceptance into medical school. Let's go ahead and say hello to Austin. Austin, welcome to the pre-med year. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dr. Gray. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? Oh, so I think it was always in my in my head that I wanted to do something in healthcare. My parents were in both in healthcare. Um, my mom was a nurse, and my dad is an X-ray tech. But I'm not sure there was really an aha moment for me. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe there was. So I. I went to, I know I want to do some of the healthcare and I went to my university, to my undergrad studies and, and I thought I wanted to do PA at first. So I, as a freshman decided I need to figure this out and I shadowed, shadowed a PA in the emergency department. And by the end of the night, I just kind of, I kind of ended up shadowing the two emergency physicians more than the PA and, <laughs> and talking with them more. And, and from that point on, I was really kind of convinced, you know, this is, this is really what I want to do. So, um, make it happen. Why do you think you were initially interested in PA school? Um, just talking to my mom about the schooling and, you know, do you really want to be a doctor? Oh, the, the seeds of doubt. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of schooling, um, but you can do it if you want to. There's also, you know, the PA track and it's much, I mean, it's half the schooling and at least half the cost. And I think that's what really intrigued me to that idea at first. Did she add, and it's the same job too. (laughs) Yeah, well, she kind of, she said the physicians just have a lot more responsibility than, than the PA and um, the PAs, you know, there to do a lot of the same things, but they're always under the supervision of a, of a physician. Yeah. Okay. So the, the seeds of doubt planted by the parent, uh, that's not a very uncommon thing, either a mentor <laughs> or an advisor. It's like, are you sure you want to do that? Uh, do you, do you know why potentially she, she doubted your, willingness or enthusiasm to go to medical school and residency and all that stuff? She was fully supportive of everything. It was just more of a, you know, parent parenting 
perspective on things. Um, are you sure you want to do all this schooling? And, you know, there's a lot of debt too involved and the PA is, is half of the schooling and debt and, and all that. And it's a, it's a really good career as well. And I, I think in the time it was like physician assistant, uh, top five jobs in America or something like that for like 10 years in a row. She was just looking out for me, but very supportive, uh, both of my parents every step of the way after I was confident that I wanted to go to medical school. So what was it you think that first night you were talking about shadowing a PA and you end up shadowing the physicians more? What do you think it was that led you to shadow the physicians more and led you to start to wonder if maybe you should go down that path instead? Yeah, so I think it, when I was shadowing the PA, we were going to different rooms and, and seeing patients. And one patient, he said that he couldn't see because of a lack of clinical expertise or, or training. And that kind of that just kind of turned me off to, to um, the idea. Like I, I was just really confused. Like why, why not? Why can't you see? Like I wanted to see all patients, and so I kind of ended up shadowing that one of the doctors. She told me that I could go with her to see all the other patients, and then there was an emergency that came in, and and um, one of those physician, another physician led the whole team and and directed everything um everybody was kind of looking up to them and i really saw that perspective and that side of things and it was it was very cool to see in the moment i've never seen anything like that and i i I can still picture it and be there like it was yesterday there was something about that that you're like well i guess the pa can't do that so i don't want to do that Right. Yeah. So I was really just from that point on, I, I was kind of turned off to the the fact that uh, they lacked clinical training. Um, I wanted to see all patients and be there, you know, in charge in that in that uh, emergency moment when everybody is, you know, looking to you and what to do. Yeah. And I, I've had this discussion a million times before, and we did that big episode with um Savannah from, uh, I forget the name of her podcast, but uh, she's a PA. And so we talked about the differences. And and I, I've talked to a lot of PAs who now want to go to medical school. And it always comes down to just the level of knowledge and the level of responsibility that a PA has. And there are people out there who want that and are okay with that specific level of knowledge and that specific level of responsibility. And then there are other people who say, no, I want more. I want it all. I want to be able to do the most for my patients. And so it sounds like you you ended up in that latter category where you wanted all of the knowledge, all of the information, all of the responsibility and ability to to do what you could for patients. Right. Yep. So you this was early on in your academic career in college? Yeah, so I, I believe I was a freshman okay. at that time. That was my first time ever shadowing and and really in a hospital setting. So it kind of really opened my eyes to everything. Yeah, and what did you do next to try to understand this whole process 
of what you needed to do with classes and extracurriculars and everything to go to medical school? Yeah. So after that, um, after my freshman year, I went back home and uh, took some classes. I took, I think, one summer course in my hometown. And during that summer, I applied to volunteer at the hospital by my university. So I did that. And I also tried to get involved with some research the following year and successfully uh, was able to get involved with some chemistry research. And those were kind of my next steps along the way. Why research? Why did you seek out research? Um, I hate to say like the hoops that you have to jump through, but <laughs> it was it was something that I, I wanted to try. I just wanted to get my feet wet in, in something. And it was an opportunity that presented with that professor and and I just wanted to try it out. So I did some organic synthesis in, in his chemistry lab, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. It was like way over my head at first. And I was like, well, okay, I, I think I need to take organic chemistry before I even try to understand what's even going on here. So I told him I was going to, I was going to wait a little bit until after I took Orgo mm -hmm. and then I went back and I, I tried to understand it some more and I, and I did understand it better, but, um, I didn't really enjoy it. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like it that much. It was, it was very tedious and tasking and, and kind of boring, honestly. Yeah. I'd rather be around people. <laughs> Again, it goes back to there. There are lots of things in this world, and and some of them fit one person and not another. Like, what you can be a PA or you can be a doctor. You could like research or you can't. Uh, you don't have to. So that's okay. Yep. So, what did you do to fill your time instead of doing research? So instead of doing research, I volunteered. I was in a couple clubs. I was in the pre-PA club, and then I was in a minority club for pre-meds pre-med minority club and um what was the other one be the match be the match was another one that mm -hmm. we were part of and we did drives around campus and and stuff like that okay what was the hardest part about being a pre-med for you i think trying to put everything together and be perfect in your classes I think we all get this idea that you need to, you know, get a 90% or better, get an A on every test you take. But it, it really doesn't need to be like that. You know, everybody's not perfect. I've got plenty of Bs, um, even a C once in Orgo too. And, and I think it's just this idea of trying to be perfect. And it really just, it kind of drains you. Yeah. yeah, it really does take a lot out of you as, as you try to, to live up to the standard that's impossible to meet uh, and, and that is not needed. Um, there's this perpetuated myth online that you have to be a perfect 4.0 student and a 520 plus MCAT score to get into medical school. And I think you and, and many other of the guests on this podcast prove, continue to prove that it's just not true. That's not what medical schools are looking for. Right. Yep. Let's talk about the MCAT. 
seem to be a, a kryptonite for you. Let's talk about your MCAT prep. How did you go about preparing for the MCAT? So the first time I took it, I was right out of undergrad and I had just finished finals and I moved back home and I was like, okay, finals are done. Tried to get the best grades possible, finish on a strong note. And then I wanted to study for the MCAT. So I moved home, started studying for the MCAT. Like, oh, it won't be too bad. I'll study for a couple months and then take it and should be all right. And then try and get everything together and, and apply. And I totally underestimated the MCAT. It is a beast. It is a marathon to study for. It is, it is something that you just you cannot take lightly. It's it's really um, is what it boils down to. And I I got a terrible score. It was I mean I couldn't even apply with the score that I received, and it it was much lower than my practice exams too. I was getting up there. Um, around 500 and I was like, oh, okay, well, I heard that these practice exams are harder than the actual thing. So why not? Let's go take it. And I did terrible. <laughs> yeah. Why? Let's talk first about why you decided to delay the MCAT until after you graduated. I think I, I just felt like I wasn't really in a place to be studying. I don't know. I, now that I think about it, in hindsight, I probably could have slowly been studying throughout that last semester of school or even the semester before and take it in January because I think January is a good time to take it and you're way ahead of the ahead of the curve there. But mm -hmm. I just wanted some dedicated time, I guess, is what I was thinking. Okay. Was there some fear there? Like, uh oh, like this is this is gonna take way too long to to study. Although it seems like even even if you did respect it somewhat, you still didn't respect it enough because it still snuck up on you. Right. Yeah, it was it was a brutal awakening. And then I after that, I think is when I talked to you and I decided, you know, I I'm just gonna take an, another year off to fully get everything ready, get my application as best as I possibly can and and have some another year to study for this this test. Mm -hmm. Were you trying to like crush the MCAT to make up for poor grades? What what was your thought on what you were trying to shoot for? No, I think I just I thought my grades were were fine. I I just wanted to get an average score. Honestly, I just I just wanted to do well on it, have a solid application and a solid chance. And also in that, in that extra gap year, I wanted to get some clinical experience because I felt that I really needed that, you know, the hands-on experience. I've, I had volunteered, but it was really nothing compared to what I do now. What do you do now? So I'm a nurse tech at a cardiothoracic post-surgical progressive care unit that's so a really get, long name <laughs> so we get uh heart and lung transplant patients that come up from the icu and and also open heart and lung patients that are coming up from the icu and recovery and 
we care for them and it's just it's incredibly important i think to get this exposure before you go into medical school i remember my first week or so on the job thinking i i don't know anything and i want to go to medical school you know like how this is just totally eye-opening what do you think it was about that experience that that will open your eyes or help you for medical school or maybe even your applications? Um, it was just seeing patients at their worst. You know, these surgeons are operating on them to literally add years to their lives. You know, these patients are very sick coming in and they need to get operated on. And seeing them on the other side of the operation, you know, they're in all this pain and you learn so much about pain control and post-surgical care and what happens when these patients go home. When are they okay to go home? When do you send them back down to the ICU because they're, they're not doing well? And all of that together, working with the nursing staff, um, the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, it's just, it's one big team. And it's really important to get that understanding. And I think it's really important to understand the nursing side of things, especially when you're going to become a physician. And, you know, these nurses are incredibly important. You wouldn't be anywhere without the nursing staff. You mean they're not sitting around playing cards all day long? <laughs> No, no card games. Oh. Never seen it. Oh man, that that senator is in some hot water with the nursing uh, <laughs> associations. But that's uh, another podcast. So yep. you uh, you took the MCAT one time. You underestimated it. You got your score back. What did you figure out, or what did you work on to try to improve your score the second time? So the second time I got a plan down, you know, written down, this is what I'm going to study these days. Cause I work 12 hour shifts. So I did three a week and then I had four days off a week. So every day off, I would have a section I would study for. So, you know, one day is chem phys, one day is all cars. One day is going to be psych soch and bio biochem. And I just, broke it down like that and slowly developed a plan. And what really helped me was the double AMC material. I think that's incredibly important. Even if you wanted to just like study that alone, that would help you tremendously because mm. it's the actual exam writers. Yeah. It's the, the company that makes the test. It's always the gold standard to go to them. Right. How many practice tests do you think you took? Oh, at least 10 to 12. Yeah. Lots. A lot, a lot. And so what was your, what were your test scores looking like compared to the first time you took the test? Um, they were getting better. I, there was a certain point where I was in, you know, the 490s and, realizing I need to really do something here because this isn't going to cut it. You know, I can, I need to increase the score. So I think the last two months I really just bared down. And I mean, I was waking up 
before work, 4 a.m., doing cars passages, doing double AMC passages, coming home from work, doing it until 10 o'clock. And I mean, every day off, I, it was all day. So I think just bearing down, it, it helped my score improve to where I wanted it to be. It was 490s, high 490s. And then I, the last two exams, I was in the 500s, 504, I think was the highest score that I received. Yeah. And then test day comes and you get your score back and it's not where you wanted it to be. Yeah. Talk, was... talk about that. Second test look like you were improving and then you get your score back and it wasn't uh, <clears throat> where you wanted it. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty devastating. It was, I, I remember looking at the score and, and thinking, wow, I, all that time it just wasted but you know thinking back i i should have pushed it back you know one or two months still because you want to overshoot the mcat you do not you don't want to undershoot it and what i mean by that is having your score thinking you're going to do better on test day yeah, because a lot of times, you know, there's nerves, and that's ultimately what I think just this killed me in the exam. I, it was just it was very nerve wracking. I knew I had a lot on the line. It was the second time taking it, and I knew this was it because I already sent my application in. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's it's interesting. A lot of students will go into that second exam, or at least prepping for that second exam, thinking. Oh, I, I've seen the test, right? I've, I've taken the test once for real. So the second time I'll be less stressed. And, and for some people that may play out, but for many others like yourself, it's like, well, I've taken it once. Everything is on the line now, especially if you've turned in your application already. And then it's like I, all of the pressure is on this one test day. And, and so the stress levels are even higher than the first time. So... Uh, what what score did you get? Are you you comfortable talking about that? Yeah, so I got a four ninety six. I got yeah. a one twenty five in chem phys, a one twenty three in psych soc, a one twenty five in bio biochemistry, and a one twenty three in cars. Okay. Yeah. So the science sections helped you, and the <laughs> yeah. the non science sections hurt you. Right. So it was pretty much boiled down to what I focused more on leading up to the test day because I was really, I was nervous about the sciences because, you know, they were the hardest for me and on the practice exams. And I thought psych social was, was going all right. You know, I was getting 127s pretty, pretty frequently between uh, test day and up before it. And um, 123 in cars, I expected that. <laughs> Okay. Cars Cars is a whole other podcast, but <laughs> the the Cars podcast, the MCAT Cars podcast was not available for you then, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Uh, if that was out, you may have done better. So you you get your score 496. 
what's going through your head? Your applications are in. Are you like, well, this is dumb. I'm just going to pull out and retake. Or you're like, well, I have my score. I might as well keep going. Yeah, I was, I was really just, I was down about it. And I mainly thought, you know, that's a lot of wasted money because I'm not going to get secondaries for a lot of these applications that I sent out. And I thought about retaking it a couple months later and, but I was, I was already just so burnt out from, from studying for it for months. And I called you and we talked about it. And, um, I think you told me to wait or, well, you ultimately said it was up to me, but I decided to apply anyway and Mm. complete the secondaries to, you know, the schools that I thought I had a chance at. And what gave you the, the thought of having a chance at a specific school or not? Well, I did research and some of these schools, I looked at their average MCATs and by the way, it's don't do that (laughs) (laughs) because it doesn't really mean anything. You know, it it doesn't, the school that I got into has an average MCAT of 504. Yeah. So that it's pretty far off, but. I I just applied anyway. I I knew that some of these schools, some of these DO schools were looking holistically and they took pride in that and I I looked at what they what they look for in applicants and you know, clinical exposure, um research, um letters of recommendation, which I had plenty of letters and I had research experience and I thought that the rest of my application was was very well put together mm-hmm. so i think the only thing hurting me was my mcat and my gpa was fine and so i gave it a shot and i found some love from a couple schools that interviewed me and um i got on the wait list at both of those schools and i got into one of them the very first day they reviewed the wait list nice so you were, you were hanging out right at the top Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. What do you think ultimately it was that that led to these schools taking a chance on you? I think I think it was my my clinical experience. It was brought up in both interviews. They asked detailed questions about it. They wanted to know more about it. And they they seemed very interested in that. I wasn't asked about my research once. I they just really wanted to get to know you, and once you have that level of understanding during the interview, and and you're talking to them, you know, like a real conversation, and just be yourself. I think helped me a lot. I think the second interview went a lot better than the first one because of just exposure to it. Mm-hmm. They were totally different interview formats, but I think that helped me. Yeah. What was the the reception with your MCAT score? Did that come up at all in the interviews? 
Yes, it came up in the first one. Uh, they discussed it. They asked me why I took it twice. And then one of the faculty members, there was three faculty members interviewing me in a big, long table, and I was in the hot seat. <laughs> and one brought it up. So why'd you take the MCAT twice? And then another one says, he took it twice? I didn't know he took it twice. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> and and um, so I told him, you know, I, I did pretty poorly. I underestimated it and tried to redeem myself. And they were like, yeah, I mean, you did much better. It's not comparing it to much in the, from the first one, but you did much better. And they knew it was low, but that, that's yeah. really all they mentioned about it. Okay. So they just wanted to hear. And, and ultimately, when it comes down to with those questions, students are so scared to talk. Like, uh, like what should I mention when they ask about my, my MCAT score, my GPA, or this thing or that thing? I'm like, well, tell the truth. Like, what happened? <laughs> what what yep. did you learn from it? How did you move forward? That's, that's all they care about is, is that you have the self-awareness enough to to go, yep, I screwed up. I didn't put in enough effort or whatever happened and I learned from it and I, I moved forward and and you got a better score. So they, they can see that you obviously learned from that mistake. Yep, exactly. What was it like to be put on a wait list at both schools and just having to wait and wait and wait? Were you thinking about taking the MCAT again? Were you thinking about other, other careers? What were you doing at that point? Yeah, so... I was working still as a nurse tech. I and mean, that's the whole job I've had. I still have it, same floor. And I honestly thought I was going to get into that first school. I, I really did. I thought it went well at, at the towards the end, and I thought it ended very well. And, and I was put on the wait list. So I started preparing better for the next one. I bought your interview platform and and I was like, all right, multiple mini interviews, let's prepare for this. And I went into that interview and it was better. I liked the multiple mini interviews. I think it was fun. I think it's a good chance to show yourself mm -hmm. to different people. And after, after that one, I thought it went the same. But then I got put on the wait list. And I was just about ready ready to start studying for the MCAT January. So I was going to start studying again January I don't even remember the date. It was like January 20th. I wanted to give I wanted to wait because they let me know that they were going to review the wait list mm. for the first time January 17th or 7th or something like that and I was at work and I got a phone call and I read it on my watch and I was in a patient's room and I saw 317 area code. And I luckily there was another nurse in there with me. And I was like, I'll be right back. And I ran to the stairwell and answered the phone and, and got accepted. And it was a giant weight off my shoulders because I was just about ready to start studying for the MCAT again. And that is not an exam I wanted to take again. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Oh, that's awesome. Did they give you any sort of feedback after the interview while you're on the wait list about why you're on the wait list and potentially 
how to improve if you don't make it on the off of the wait list? Yeah, so I reached out to both schools. I I called them, and the first school was very upfront, and they said you were. Well, first of all, they said you were very laid back in your interview, <laughs> and I was like, "What?" I, I didn't know that would ever hurt me, but I think it's just my personality, and yeah, and I'm a just I'm a laid back guy, and and yeah, I've I've gotten that feedback as well from people <laughs> because I I get I get some feedback sometimes that I'm lackadaisical. I'm like, no, I'm just like chill, like. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, it, it can come off as like, wait, why aren't you more excited or more more into this? But like, no, I'm just kind of hanging out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he, he said that. And and then he said that my MCAT was low. He said, yeah. I'm going to be honest, your MCAT score is low and and we'd like to see it higher, even if you could improve by one or two points. Mm-hmm. on your MCAT score that would help you tremendously. Yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, why did you give me an interview? Exactly. You, that was my score, but <laughs> but yeah, it was good feedback and I wrote both of them, both schools a letter of interest and an update and um the other school I called as well, but they didn't they didn't help as much um with because they didn't have the specific details. It's kind of different for MMIs. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, what school did you get into? The one that had the MMI or the, the one that didn't? The one that had the MMIs. Okay. Yep. So, so, there was... so maybe that feedback of, of you being a little bit too relaxed in your interviews held you back a little bit too much. Yeah. Yeah, it, it could have. So I mean, if you're interviewing... Be excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feign some enthusiasm, even if you are a laid back person. And I think y- you talked about your experience working as a nurse tech and being in that situation. I think having that sort of experience really helps for the MMI because what you're doing all day long is communicating with patients and other healthcare providers and staff and, and other other people and that's really all the MMI is is let's let's communicate and talk through these things and so you're doing that day in and day out except now you're doing it in an interview setting but it's the same thing ultimately right and it's funny that you say that too because there was two MMIs and then the third one was a one-on-one you know like 30-minute interview Mm. and each each room that we entered was actually a simulation patient room so (laughs) I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Like, I got this. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, cool. What, uh, since, since you've gotten your acceptance, what sorts of things are you doing to, quote unquote, prepare for medical school now? So, I'm, I'm trying to read a lot. I'm trying to read, you know, one or two books every, every month and just stay focused and try and stay on a routine schedule and but I'm also trying to enjoy life while I have it and mm. give it over to medicine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm you know, I like to golf and be outside and and uh run and I'm doing a couple races this summer. So yeah, try and stay busy. Awesome. 
So what feedback do you have? What sort of words of encouragement do you have for the student out there who gets their MCAT score back after submitting their applications and they, they are crushed and demoralized and they're like, well, what's the point of doing this if I'm not even going to get, ha- have a chance of getting in? Yeah, I think it's important just to don't let a test score define you. If you think you have a shot and your application is best prepared as you possibly can and and uh, everything else has worked out, you work the kinks out in your application, then give it a shot. Let the, as you say, let the medical schools tell you no. All right, there you have it. I think the biggest takeaway for this episode is something that I talk about all of the time. And a lot of you listening will will still not listen to the words that I'm talking about. (laughs) A lot of you listening will ignore the words that are going to follow, but your MCAT is only one part of your application. It's only one part of your application. You have your GPA, and Austin's GPA was decent. You have your clinical experiences. Austin's clinical experience was amazing as a nurse tech, interacting with all of those patients as as a provider in the hospital. And he talked about it. The interviewers wanted to talk about it because it's great experience. So if you are not out there doing everything to have a well-rounded application and you are solely focused on your MCAT and your GPA, you may get into medical school but it's not going to be as easy as you think it'll be. You have to have that well-rounded application to push it through, to stand out, to make somebody go, oh, this is interesting. Let's talk to him. Let's talk to her. So Austin overcame his 496 MCAT score, got into medical school, and is starting soon. And you can too. So don't be discouraged if those scores come back and they're not where you want them to be. If they are somewhere in the ballpark, push forward with that application. Try and let the medical schools tell you no. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. 